right, Haggai chapter 2. Really excited about this chapter. There's some very interesting things in here. Something I learned, too, is as I've been studying this, um, I've had a theory uh, for, that I've talked about from Exodus chapter 19 for a long time about what I think was taking place there. We're going to go back and look at that in a little bit. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things, there's a lot of opinion. But I think based on what we see here in this chapter, I never connected with it. I think my opinion is looking more and more legit. And so this was interesting to me as I was studying this. I got a lot of it, some really good things in here. I got excited before the message. I heard Brother Josh sing a song about shaking heaven and earth. And I thought it was like of the Holy Spirit because my, my message tonight, the title is The Shaking of Heaven and Earth. And, but it turned out they knew I was preaching from that passage. So somebody's been reading ahead and finding out that studying ahead. That's good. So they knew what was going on. I guess they weren't ready for the song tonight. But that's all right. But look what it says in verse 1. And so just a little a review. They are, they, uh, the work of the temple had been put on hold. Uh, and finally, God sent the prophets and told Israel, get back to work. It is time to finish that house of the Lord. And so God used the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to get these guys going. And Chloe, take care of Ali, uh, Kelly, all right? She's running around like a maniac. So it says in verse 1, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory, and how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing. And last week we talked about how this new temple was inferior, it appears, to the former temple. And in uh, Ezra, it talked about how when they were laying the foundation, the old men wept while the young men shouted. And we talked about different speculation on that. But there's no doubt this new temple that got built, while this was a major fulfillment of prophecy, while it was very exciting that it was happening, it was kind of a letdown, too, you could say, because it's like, especially for the ones, the ancient men who were there and remembered the former temple. So uh, keep this in mind, because Zechariah talked a lot, too, about this temple that was coming. He, he talked about a coming temple that I wish I would have understood a little bit better when I preached to Zechariah. Understand a little bit better now after studying the book of Haggai. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But in verse four, he says, "Be, be now, be or yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and be uh, strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Don't be scared of these people that are yelling at you, that are giving you grief. Go, get to work. Okay, God's with you on this, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt." So my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. Okay, so remember, God does not seem like he's real concerned that this building that they're building is inferior. God's not looking at this building and saying, wow, that's not as impressive as the one Solomon built. God doesn't seem to care. And I'm going to tell you why. Because God knows what building is going to be used to fulfill his will. And it wasn't Zerubbabel's building and it wasn't Herod's building so he's telling them you know he's like he's telling them to, to be strong and then he reminds them of the covenant that he made 
when they came out of Egypt. So God, it's like, because it's, it's clear, God knows God's, he's going to do something bigger in the future. Yeah, yeah I, I get it. Y'all are a little disappointed at this temple and how it looks, but wait till you see the temple that's coming. God understands how there's something so much better that's coming. So verse 5 says, according to the word that I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt. So notice this reference to the covenant that he made with them when they came out of Egypt. Now I want you to go to Exodus chapter 19. This is, I think, is a very interesting chapter. I'm going to give you some of what I've always called opinion of what I believe is going on here in Exodus chapter 19. And at the end of the sermon... You know, you can tell me if you think I'm right or wrong. I won't be. I, I might be wrong, but either way, uh, it's just uh, an interesting thought. But it says, and it came to pass, verse 16, on the third day in the morning, that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Now, interestingly enough, this is the first mention. Uh, the first time we see a trumpet in the Bible, first time we see it, we see a trumpet in the Bible. Just keep that in mind. All right. Think about the first trump and think about the last trump. All right. Am I making a connection? I probably shouldn't. Maybe. All right. But I, it would preach at a camp meeting. So just pretend you're at a camp meeting right now. All right. But verse 17. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And the Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they should break unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them Perish. Okay, now this was a very significant event right here. And understand, God Himself came down on the mountain, and when He did, the whole mountain shook. It shook the whole mountains. There's thunders, there's lightnings, a trumpet sounds. Okay, literally, the Lord Himself descends. And we, and we see a trumpet sounding, we see a mountain quaking. But you know what we don't see? We don't see anyone being caught up. In fact, we see God saying, if anyone touches this mountain, they're dead. Right? So keep, keep that in mind. And then in chapter 20, what do we do? We have Moses go up into the mountain. And what does God give him? The Ten Commandments, the covenant. He gives them the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that they never were able to keep. Nobody, nobody ever kept. They broke that covenant. So just keep all that in mind. Verse, so in, back in verse 6 in Haggai, it says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations. And the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Okay, Remember that song we sang a lot last month? Come, desire of nations, come. This is where that comes from. Jesus is referred to, we know this is about the Messiah, as the desire of nations. And he says that the desire of nation is going to come, and I'm going to fill that house with glory. And it says in verse 8, the silver is mine, 
The gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So Israel, they're a little disappointed as this temple's going up because it's definitely inferior to the last temple. And God tells them, wait till you see the house that's coming. There's a house that's coming that I'm going to fill with glory. And that former house, Solomon's temple, is going to be nothing. Let me tell you something. The Jews still like to brag about Solomon's temple. They still like to brag about Herod's temple. God said, I've got a temple coming that that's, the glory of that temple has no comparison. So keep all that in mind. So here's the question. When did this happen? Okay. When did the desire of nations come and the glory of the Lord fill the house? Did this happen? Yes. Yeah. Because remember, God's speaking of this inferior temple saying there's going to be a greater than the former temple. Now, what's interesting, historically, we talked a little bit about this last week, Herod, not that long before Christ came on the scene, greatly improved the temple. And according to history, I mean, its glory maybe even exceeded the glory of Solomon's temple. Now, I could see a lot of the Jews back then thinking, hey, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Look what Herod's doing and making this temple like the one we've heard about. None of them were alive to see it, but like what we heard about of Solomon's temple, look at how magnificent this is. This, you know, maybe God's going to do something like he did when Solomon dedicated the first temple and the glory of the Lord filled that house. Maybe something like that's going to happen. And of course, they never saw anything like that in their lifetime, but I could see a lot of Jews back then thinking, this is it. When they saw that temple, this is fulfillment of what Haggai talked about. The Messiah is going to be coming anytime. And let me tell you something. Messiah sure enough came. The Messiah sure enough came. But I, but so, but so when did this shaking of the heavens and earth take place? Well, I believe that that has not happened yet. I believe the shaking of the heavens and earth is going to happen at the second coming of Christ. Now go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 18, it says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto the blackness and darkness of the tempest. This is referring to what we saw in Exodus 19. That mountain that none of them could touch, that shook when God came down on it. It says, and the sound of the trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. And we see that in the Old Testament. When God spoke, it terrified the people, and they told Moses, don't ever let that happen again. And you know what? God told them, that, yeah, they've well spoken. He said, you know, I won't speak that way anymore. He said, I'm going to send another prophet, though. I'm going to raise up a prophet of your own brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hear. And we know that was talking about Jesus Christ. And it was because they couldn't handle hearing the voice of God. Let, let me tell you something, folks. When God shows up, sin, things shake up. Okay, And sinful man cannot handle the voice. They cannot handle to look at them. It is not something, it is not a glorious sight for them to behold. It is a terrifying sight. Keep, so keep that in mind. 
I mean, I, I think this would have been cool. When I'm reading this, I'm like, man, that would have been neat. They said, don't ever let this happen again. They didn't ever want to see this again. It terrified them. It says, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And this is a good passage to remember for these people who want to see God before they'll believe in him. They couldn't handle it. And they wouldn't want to. And if they saw him, they wouldn't want to see him again. If they just heard his voice, they wouldn't want to hear it again. It says, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That means, that means you shake yourself. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men, made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So, here in Hebrews chapter 12, we see uh, a connection to what we saw in Hebrews 19, where it talked about the shaking, the quaking of the mountain, and it refers to a quaking coming in the future. So now look what it says in verse uh, 26, um, or 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Boy, there's a lot we could say about this passage right here, but folks... The things of the old covenant, guess what? They got, they've, got, they've been shaken. They're done. The things of the new covenant, the Bible says they cannot be shaken. They cannot be moved. They're not, the old covenant went away. New covenant, not going anywhere. This, that one is permanent. What was replaced by Jesus cannot be shaken, and it cannot ever be replaced. And so remember that too when people try to say there's another covenant coming for Israel. No, that covenant already came. Now, let's go back to Haggai chapter 2 and verse 6 and 7 so we can make sure we understand this. Because again, when did this happen? When did the desire of nations come and the glory of God fill that house? Because the temple's gone. So is this something that's got to happen in a third temple? Well, I'll show you exactly because I, I believe this is extremely clear uh, how this is going to go down. So let's read verses 6 and 7 again of Haggai 2. It says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. And the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Now I submit to you that this has not happened yet, that this did not happen at Jesus' first coming where he shook all nations. But notice how... He said, this house, okay? So, but this house that he's referring to, he says, I will, uh, when he says, uh, 
Yeah, and I will shake the nation. The desire of nations shall come. The desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house. I submit to you that he's referring to Jesus himself and the body of Jesus Christ. Well, now he's talking about a house right there. Well, turn over to John chapter two and verse nineteen. Remember, the Jews made a big deal about their temple in Jesus' day. They, they really thought very highly of it. The disciples, you know, when Jesus told them there's not going to be one stone left upon another, they want to know when these things were going to be. Jesus, and Jesus was telling them there wasn't going to be one stone left upon another because they're just like admiring these buildings and talking about how great they are and how magnificent. And Jesus said, these things are nothing. They're going to go away. And look what it says in John 2.19. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. Okay, that the temple is also referred to as the house of God. And Jesus said here, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then said to the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. So notice in Haggai 2, God said the desire of nations is going to come and I'm going to fill this house. And I believe he's referring to the body of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ returns, his body is going to be filled with power and glory. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30. After he tells them about the temple that's going to be destroyed, he says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And I believe that right there is the fulfilling of what we see in Haggai chapter 2, where he's going to shake the heavens and the earth. He's going to come and God's going to fill that house with glory. That house that the Jews destroyed. They put it on a cross. They put his body on the cross and his body was our sacrifice for sin, replacing the things of the temple. The things of the temple are done. The things of the temple are not coming back. Those things were replaced by the body of Jesus Christ Jesus Christ offered up himself and they went and they broke that body. They broke it down for us. It was put in a grave. But you know what? Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And that temple, it resurrected. And then 40 days later, he ascended to heaven. And now, you know what we're doing? We're waiting for him to come back. That we're waiting for the desire of nations. Okay, because Jesus Christ too... He was that seed that was promised that was going to be uh, a blessing to all nations. And Jesus Christ was that Abraham's seed that was prophesied that we've been waiting for. And so when Jesus Christ comes back in power and great glory, it's not going to be like the secret rapture theory where nobody sees it coming and just people disappear. That's not how the Bible explains it. That's not what we see in the scriptures. Look what we see in Revelation 6, 12. Now, to me, this is just more evidence that what we're seeing here in Revelation 6 is referring to the coming of Christ and not Armageddon, okay, but the rapture. Okay? Or that is, that is the coming of Christ. And notice what it says in Revelation 6, 12. And I beheld, and when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. Now, what, did, what was going to happen when the desire of nations came? He was going to shake the earth. But he wasn't just going to shake the earth. He was going to shake the heavens too. And look what it says. And it says, 
Uh, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as flood, blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. It, you know what that looks like? It looks like the heavens are being shaken too. Just like a fig tree, when it's shaken of a mighty wind, the figs fall. When the heavens are shaken, what happens? The stars fall. Tell me this isn't the shaking of the heaven and earth that was talked about in Hebrews, that was talked about in Haggai. And the Bible says that was going to happen too when the desire of nations came. Now, that didn't happen at Jesus' first coming. This is something that we're waiting for. This is something that we're, that we're looking for. And you know what? Jesus is the desire of all nations. Back then, he really was only the desire of Israel. They were the only ones that were really looking for a Messiah. And they had so many things wrong, they didn't recognize the Messiah when he came. But you know what? This is what we're looking for. And there are people from every nation that are looking for this. And when Jesus Christ comes back, let me tell you, there's going to be a shaking of the earth and of the heavens. And I, I believe that what we're seeing here in Revelation 6 definitely is connected to what we see in Haggai chapter 2. We literally see the heavens and the earth being shaken. And so, um, it goes on to say in verse 15, or 14, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. That's how big of the shaking of earth was. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of Israel when they heard, Je when they heard God come down on the mountain. It scared them. It terrified them. And when Jesus Christ returns, it's going to horrify this earth. It will terrify them when they see it. And it says, and they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? All these people who are saying, I'll believe in God when I see Him, when they see Him, they're going to be begging for rocks to fall on them. They're not going to be able to handle it. They are not going to be able to handle it. Now, this ends the first message. There's like three messages in this chapter. And so we're now we're going on to a second message. Okay, uh, And so a little while later, in verse 10, it says, the 420th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Now, I think this is an interesting question. You've got holy priests. If they touch something unclean, does the unclean thing become holy or do they become unclean? They become unclean. Now, that's interesting. Well, let's read verse 13. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. So an unclean thing touching a clean thing makes the clean thing unclean, not the other way around. It's pretty important that we understand that. And by the way, notice how Jesus, whenever he would touch that which was unclean, it became clean. But that's not how it worked with the priest. The woman with the issue of blood should have made Jesus ceremonially unclean when she touched him 
But guess what? She became cleansed. The priest couldn't do that. Jesus, the new temple, could do that. And so notice in verse 14, then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands. Yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord of hosts. You know what? God did not want them thinking that they had the ability to cleanse anything by their works. Because, sadly, during Jesus' day, a lot of these people thought they were clean by their works. They're like, well, wait a minute. If you're an unclean thing, and you touch that which is holy, it becomes unclean. So, he, he's making it clear, this temple is not going to take care of you. This temple is not going to give you the cleansing that you need. And so they needed to come to God. And he's saying, I did all these things to you, and yet you never turned to me. Okay? See, they needed to come to him for cleansing. They needed to go to God for cleansing. He is the only one who can touch the unclean and make it clean. He is the only thing that can touch. That day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it, is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, is yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree? Hath not brought forth from this day... I will bless you. So because they have finally done what God said to do and they're building this temple, remember he called for a famine or a drought in the last chapter because they weren't doing what he said. And you know they were just content because they had what they needed. So God said, fine, I'm going to take away what you, what you need until you take care of my house. So they're doing this. So God's ready to bless them now because of this. So that, this ends the second message. But in the first message, the prophets basically tell them, I get it that this... Temple's inferior, but wait till you see the temple that's coming. In this section, in this prophecy that he gives, he's basically just kind of reasoning with them, using some common sense and letting them know that, hey, unholy things cannot make that which is holy. You all need to be coming to me. You all need to be turning to me. He's basically letting them know this temple that you're building right now, some of you are really excited about, it's not going to get the job done you need to be waiting for that other temple that's coming, that one that I'm going to fill with glory. And so, verse 20, we're now to the third message. And it says, And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them and the horses and their riders shall come down every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, what we're seeing here, I believe, is a messianic prophecy. Because, interestingly enough, I don't remember if I mentioned this last week or not, but Shealtiel and Zerubbabel are in the royal line of Christ. And so, in this prophecy, he's telling them 
that I will, uh, he's chosen them. Okay, he's chosen these guys and he's going to make thee as a signet. Uh, he, and he's saying, I've chosen you. And so in Matthew one twelve it says, and after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, which is Shilpiel, and Salathiel begat Zerubbabel, which is Zerubbabel. Now, this is kind of a side thing. Somebody gave me, uh, years ago, they gave me like a Bible family tree. I've still got it in my office. It's this big family tree thing that's got like everybody's names in it. It's pretty complicated, but real interesting. But then, you know, it starts with Adam and it goes all the way to uh, Jesus Christ. And when you're going through the genealogies, it has the Matthew genealogy, which goes to Joseph. And then it has the Luke genealogy, which goes to Mary. Now, I don't know if this is accurate uh, or if, if what they did in this was accurate. It's possible that it is based on some technicality because there was, um, while we believe that Luke is the, you know, the actual genetic line that we're seeing because Jesus didn't come from Joseph. But legally he was of Joseph because he was Jesus' father on earth. But one of the things that we would see in the Bible is that often they would raise up seed for their brother and things like that. And so you might have someone that was from a family name, but they didn't physically descend from them. So it's possible something like that is going on in the Matthew genealogy. And maybe that's what we're seeing with uh, Salathiel and Zerubbabel. But interestingly enough, in, in Luke 3.27, when it's going through the names, and after David, it doesn't go to Solomon like it does in Matthew. It goes to Nathan, who is another son of David. And then it's a whole bunch of different names. But then in Luke 3.27, it says, which was the son of Joanna, which was the son of Risha, which was the son of Zerubbabel, which was the son of Salathiel which is the son of Neri. So now they had, a lot of people had the same names back then. Okay. But you know, on that family tree, it had these two as the same. It had the, the things come together is the way they made it. And I remember seeing that and I thought, I never would have thought those would be the same Zerubbabel and Salathiel. But it is interesting that it was promised to them. There is a messianic prophecy given to them, just kind of showing that the line was going to come to them. And the last person that that promise had been given to was David. So uh, a prophecy like this had not come in a very long time, but we do see a messianic prophecy uh, given to these two men. And so chances are it's just a different Zerubbabel and Slathiel. They used a lot of the same names back then, but uh, could possibly be you know, the same two guys too. And what we're seeing in Matthew is more of a legal line, not necessarily a biological line. And we like to think mostly of a biological line. And I think that's what Luke is focusing on because of the fact Jesus came from Mary. But, but anyway, but back to this shaking of the heaven and earth, okay? Because this is what I believe God was doing back in Exodus and I believe what God is going to be doing in the future. I think the parallels are too many to ignore. Okay, so again, God bring, God calls the people out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. They're in that mountain, and then God has them gathered. He, we're not going to go back and read the whole story. God tells them to cleanse themselves. He tells them to do all these things, and then all of a sudden He comes down the mountain. The mountain begins to shake. 
there's lightning, there's all these things going on, and then a trumpet blast goes, and it just keeps going, and it gets louder and louder. It's even terrifying Moses, what's going on. And then after all this takes place, God tells the children of Israel, don't even touch this mountain or you're dead. I think what we're seeing right there is similar to what's going to happen in the rapture. It's almost as though, and I understand God knew what he was doing, but it's almost as though God is coming to gather a people for himself. But the people couldn't handle God and God couldn't handle them. You know why? Because of sin. Because of their sin. They couldn't handle God. Well, one of these days, you know, and so that was under the old covenant. Well, one of these days, God's going to come again, but not just on one mountain for one people. God's going to come down on this whole earth. And that's why it's not just going to be a mountain getting shaken. The whole earth is going to be shaken. Every mountain and island is going to be moved out of their place. The heavens are going to be shaken during that time. The stars are going to fall from heaven. He's going to come down. And a trumpet is going to sound. And when that takes place, there's going to be a group of people that this time are acceptable. That this time are going to be glad to see him. Now let me ask you, why are we going, what's going to be different about us that makes us glad to see him? Can anybody tell me? Glorified body. That's going to be the massive difference right there. Because you know what we would do if the Jesus Christ came back right now in the clouds in this condition? We would do what everybody else does. We would freak out. And we do. We Just understand, we've all got a picture in our head of what the rapture is going to look like. And that's okay. But let me tell you something. The picture you have in your head makes you feel really good. You know what that tells me? You got it wrong. If you could picture what it was really going to be like, you'd be having nightmares. Okay, it would it would terrify you because you're sinful because because of how sinful you are. But understand that when Jesus Christ came to earth, when he paid for our sins on the cross, when he died and when he rose again, okay, he was the first fruits of the resurrection because he rose from the dead. We know we all will rise from the dead one of these days. And so all of this gives us hope that when Jesus Christ comes back, he will change us. And we will this time be acceptable. This time we will be able to see him. And that's why the Bible tells us that when we see him, we're going to be changed. We're going to be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. When at the last trump, not like at the first trump, the first trump, when that one sounded, nobody went up. God said, I'll kill you if you even try to come by me. But when the last trump sounds, you know what? This time there's not going to be folks. There's not going to be a problem. When Jesus Christ comes back, when the next trumpet sounds, I am ready. Okay, now how am I ready? What have I done? I got saved. I got saved. And because I've been saved, I've been, I have been given the promise of a resurrection. I've been given the promise of a glorified body. I, you know, behold, now we are the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So we have that title. We have that standing of sons of God right now. And if our father came right now and we just stayed like this, it would kill us. We couldn't handle it. We'd be terrified. But no, when he comes back, he is going to change us. And folks, that's why we have to be changed. We have to be changed. And you know what? I hope you want to be changed. I hope you don't like your sins so much that the thought of a glorified body is a problem for you. No, we should... 
We should be longing for that. We should be yearning for that. You know, the, the spirit that's in you, it groans for that. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And that, in fact, is coming one of these days. And so, in this, in this chapter, the way it ends, the way this third message ends, it ends basically, again, reiterating the fact, I'm going to shake the heavens and earth again. I'm, or I'm going to shake the heavens and earth. I'm going to do that. I'm going to overthrow those kingdoms. I'm going to do all these things. And he says, I'm going to make a signet and use Rubbabel, son of Salathiel. I'm going, I'm going to make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. And I believe that's why when we're reading in Matthew, which in the book of Matthew, uh, I mean, that one is one of the main uh, uh, gospels that emphasizes all the, the prophecies Jesus fulfilled. There's all these references that it might be fulfilled that was spoken of by the prophet. And the very first thing it does in the chapter is it gives the lineage for the people of Israel, starting not with Adam, but with Abraham. Because it was Abraham that God chose to raise up that nation with. And that signet, that seed eventually came through that line, just as prophesied, it through Zerubbabel, we see him mentioned in there showing a fulfillment of prophecy, showing that this was done. And so this was God, or the, the prophet here leaves them with a prophecy about that one that was going to come. Now, again, they obviously, this is, this is another example too of a prophecy that I can kind of see why they got it wrong. But you want to know why the Jews got things wrong? Because, you know, and this is a legitimate concern too, okay? If the Jews were so wrong about how the first coming of Christ was going to be, what's to say we're not just as wrong when it comes to the second coming of Christ? I think that's a legitimate question, a legitimate concern. But let me tell you this. Here's, here's the main reason the Jews got it so wrong. Because they did, uh, they did disobey a very clear command, and that was when the Lord raised up that prophet, like unto Moses, they were supposed to listen to him, and they they rejected Jesus. That's why they got things so wrong. They they rejected the truth of Jesus Christ. They would not listen to him. They would not hear what he had to say. That's what he kept saying. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. They wouldn't hear what he had to say. And so while Jesus is fulfilling all these things, they're not seeing it. And it was because of their unbelief. It was because of their unbelief. And understand, even, and I get it, even saved people didn't completely get it, but they understood it after it all went down. You know, they, we see him explaining a lot of these things in Acts and in their, in their writings. We see that they, they clearly understood after the fact. But I'm not saying that we're going to get everything right about the second coming of Christ. I'm sure we're all going to be surprised about some things, but I don't think it's completely fair comparison to go back to how the Jews were wrong because they were they literally rejected Christ. So why would they have understood anything? You know, that was why Jesus spoke in parables. And so, you know, because the thing is, if they would have listened to Moses when Jesus said you know, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. You know, they would have just listened to what he had to say. But what, you know what, they, that was one of the main accusations they held against him 
when he went on trial with Herod. He said he was going to destroy the temple. That's what they were telling everybody. And their witnesses weren't even agreeing together in that story. But, but either way, there, I, I, I don't think there's any doubt in, in Haggai chapter 2 when God's saying, I'm going to fill this house, he's referring to the body of Jesus Christ. And so let me tell you, don't be looking for a temple in the future to get filled with glory. Don't, don't be looking for that. You know what we need to be looking for? We need to be looking forward to the temple of Jesus' body when it comes back to this earth. Okay, Not like it did the first time. In the body of a lowly, you know, just a lowly carpenter, uh, you know, a baby in a manger. He's not coming back like that. He's coming back with all authority. He's coming back crowned with many crowns. He's coming back with power and glory. And this time, we're going to be able to handle it because we're getting a changed body. And I'm looking forward to that. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to keep imagining what it's going to look like, but we're always going to get it wrong. Unless whatever you come up with terrifies you. Then, then you might have it right. So start thinking scarier. And, and, but then, you know what? You'd still get that wrong because when you think scary, you think Hollywood horror stuff. And that's not holy. See, the problem is Hollywood can't make scary holy because they can't do anything holy. So at, at the end of the day, we're just going to have to wait and see. Okay? And just like your kids, are we there yet? What's it, you know, they're asking all these questions. I, I can't answer everything. I, I can just tell you, get saved and then get excited because you're going to love it when it comes. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. I pray that this message was helped everybody. Lord, we thank you for just the added excitement we get from the message about what your return is going to be like. And uh, dear Lord, I pray if anybody gets anything out of this, Lord, I pray that they'll just uh, remember not to get lifted up with the fact that uh, we're going to be accepted unlike Israel was in Exodus 19, but help us to just be thankful and to understand that the difference between us and them as Jesus Christ, your son, your blood that has cleansed us. And Lord, I pray we'll always remember to give you 100% of all the glory for our salvation. And Lord, we are looking forward to your return. And I just pray that this message may be made folks just a little more excited about what's to come. In your name we pray. Amen.